absolutely need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education. About segregation. About humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Tops Market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. We're here with Veronica Golden, a community member, educator, social worker. Veronica, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for the invitation. So, first off, how how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm a bit tired, but I'm okay. It, um, it has been challenging before May 14th to be uh, a social worker, to, to deal with people's mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine now right. what it's like. Yeah, yeah. For myself, I really had to check, um, you know, what was my baseline at that moment prior to the incident happening. Um and what, you know, what were my triggers? What were my coping skills? What was in my toolbox prior to that happening? Because certainly that's going to impact, um, you know, how I take in the event. Um, but, yes, yeah, so it was very tragic. And, um, you know, trying to get the community back on track and bring some normalization into especially that area on Jefferson. Um, it's going to take time. Uh, I think we're we're headed in the right direction. Um, you know, a flood of resources was put into that area, and um, I know they've been having like church revivals across the street, and yeah. you know, just trying to bring the community together and giving out things. So, um, and, and there were mental health resources at the Johnny B. Wiley, um, and I think uh, it was in the works for them to get a more permanent um, mental health resource on Jefferson in that area. You have a lot of ties there still um, mm-hmm. and and a little bit of a history with that grocery. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was my, I would say my first real job <laughs> because before that I was working at the Salvation Army. But, um, but so this was my first job as a cashier. Uh, I started on my 18th birthday <laughs> and I worked at that very tops on Jefferson for two years. Um, and so, you know, I really got to know people in the community and it, it was a great time. I learned a lot of skills there. Um, I was promoted to customer service. And so, yeah, I have a history with that area. Um, uh, in my teenage years, I did a program at Urban Christian Ministries at Jefferson and Utica, mm-hmm. um, in which they, we discussed the books, The Seven Highly Effective Habits of Teenagers, um, and we talked about teen pregnancy and um, 
Yeah, I just I I have a, a a lot of history in there. So I was at that tops the Sunday before, and my mom was actually at that tops um, hours before the incident happened. Wow. And I have you know different family members that visit that store often. So um, yeah, it did hit home. How how are they doing now? Uh, they're they're doing okay. It took them a while to you know visit the store once it reopened, but. Um, yeah, they they are doing okay. Um, have a strong spiritual background and mm-hmm. to help uh, keep them grounded and um, kind of stable. Let's um, talk about some of the work that you do with students. Mm-hmm. You really try to empower them to be their best selves uh, when they when they come to school. What does that what does that look like? Um, so it looks like educating them on affirmations, you know, helping them build the the skills to, you know, have high self-esteem, to develop goals, um, you know, both in and outside of the classroom. Um, one of the things that I do uh, with my students is oftentimes, you know, they're call down to my office for if there's an issue (laughs) but but I really try to get to know the student prior to discussing what happened Um, because if you if you go straight in with oh what happened and kind of a punitive approach then you're going to get a lot of defense on the other end Um, and there's a difference between punishment and discipline Um, and so with punishment you just want them to feel bad which you know, okay, I get it. But right. discipline, you know, you really want to educate them on, um, you know, better choices. And you want to be trauma-informed in your approach so that you can kind of get at what led to the behavior because the behaviors don't exist in a bubble. Uh, mm-hmm. For students, let's talk a moment for back to school. Um Again, another stressful time for families, for the students themselves. It was stressful before for Mm -hmm. everyone. Um, A lot of students, and there are some students out there, who this is the first time they'll be entering a school building because they were remote for because of COVID for the last, you know, two years or year and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, But for students and families who live in the city, it must be particularly difficult and challenging. Um, how would you how would you help them? Um, so my big two things are stress and structure. So as in stress management and structure, um, and so. Really uh, equipping parents, which, you know, their role is so vital, um, you know, in terms of the school setting, because what the children are bringing into the school setting originates from the home. And so um, really uh, with the the stress management part, um, it's a neurology before psychology type of thing. Okay. So, you know, you have to 
take a deep breath before reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, emotional regulation is something that, you know, just people in general, not only just parents, but people in general um, can work on. Um, because when something happens and you're stressed out, there's a lot of adrenaline and cortisol rushing through your body. There's a lot of fast and rapid breaths. But really, in order to think clearly, you need to take a, a deep breath. So this, to, there's a, a physicality yes. that happens with stress. Yes, yes. Um, the biological and psychological is very intertwined. And so, you know, you want to take a deep breath so that you're bringing oxygen in, into your blood, into your brain, so that you can think clearly. And then, you know, how you're thinking is going to affect your behaviors and then your actions. So, you know, in social work, there's the CBT approach Um but this neurology before psychology, which I heard from a uh, LCSW, Dr. Reji Matthews. Um, so this approach is really at before you even think you need to just stop and mm. breathe. <laughs> um, so that's and, really take a part, take a, a moment, yes, take yes, a moment. Yes, um, Instead of being reactionary to something. Right. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yep. And so with the structure point um, for parents uh, in the home, structure is going to look like a morning and evening routine. Mm-hmm. It's going to look like effective rewards and consequences. Um, now, I know children act like they don't, you know, want structure, but really deep down, they, they do. They crave it <laughs> <laughs> because it, it keeps them so safe. It helps them know. Um, you know, what the next steps are. They can help predict it. And so, I mean, with the May 14th incident, that was unpredictable. Um, It was completely unexpected. And, you know, for right now, uh, what our children need, especially in that area, is is structured to help, um, you know, bring a sense of safety um, to their world. Uh, Because, I mean, just beyond what happened on May 14th, uh, the last couple of years, it's been like crazy in America. Right. <laughs> so right. like with COVID and the last president and, you know, the George Floyd incident. I mean, we were just like, it was crazy. It's kind of like moving from one trauma to the next. Yes. Yes. And in a seeming never-ending cycle. Right, right. And so that's why, like, it, it definitely affected me. It impacted me, um, you know, the incident that happened at Tops. But I feel like it didn't impact me as much as it perhaps could have just because of the vicarious trauma that, you know, we constantly take in, mm-hmm. um, you know, on, on social media all the time that, Talking about, uh, you know, a different situation where, you know, somebody was shot and, you know, this was a grocery store, but it's been at a church and, you know, while somebody was walking and taking a jog in somebody's apartment. So uh, it's one thing after other after other. Um, So, yeah, it's just been a lot. It's important to have a a structure then to fall back on when when these things happen mm-hmm. um we were talking the other day on the show about resiliency mm-hmm. does structure then breed 
resiliency? Does it assist with that? Yeah, yeah, I believe structure would, you know, help with resiliency. Um, I believe the external environment, you know, somewhat mimics the internal environment. And so, you know, if things, if there's no structure on the outside and, you know, your house is crazy, there's there's no type of routine, there's no type of cleanliness, you know, everything is just in kind of a chaos mode, survival mode, then internally, um, you know, it's going to mimic that external environment. Mm -hmm. Um, You you may not be able to think as clearly. And, you know, if you're setting up goals that require structure, Uh, what I do a lot um, is smart goals. So smart being specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-framed. And setting up goals like that with the students, that requires them developing a structure of what they want, you know, in life or just, you know, for a particular purpose. But, um, yeah, structure definitely helps to, you know, build that resiliency and give them um, the skills that they need to um, persevere through life's challenges. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. I'm host Bridget Jaipal Valenza. We're talking today with Veronica Golden about mental health, about parenting, um, about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I know as a parent, we always think of our kids. We, we want to help them. We want to assist. There is certainly a notion that you can't fill from an empty jug. You cannot help your child uh, or your family without sort of helping yourself. Talk talk to me a a little bit about um, sort of that that self-help, that Mm self-care that needs to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Self-care is very big in the social work field. Um, (laughs) It was very big. Uh, you know, in my schooling when I went to uh, UB to get my master's in social work, but they really emphasized that a lot at the time (laughs) was self-care. So self-care can look like, you know, many different things. Um, But again, it's about, you have to be intentional about self-care because um, in today's day and age, you don't have a lot of time. There's really kind of a a time poverty thing going on where there's a lack of time between sleeping and going to work and then you have to travel longer to get to work and you're working several jobs and still doing household chores. So really sticking in time for self-care is is difficult, but it's much needed. Um, So self-care can look like, you know, exercise. It can look like, you know, taking a bath. It can look like, you know, going out to take a walk um, at Delaware Park, which I do often. Mm. Um, It's going to look like, you know, volunteering in whatever uh, field that, you know, you like or you're passionate about. Um, Finding the hobbies, um, you know, finding what you like to do what your interests are, um, developing coping skills, connecting with other people, which COVID kind of drastically reduced. Um, Mm. And so for now, we're in this period where 
things are a little bit better um, in terms of like the public health crisis. And so now we can restore, um, you know, bonds that may have been kind of impacted greatly by uh, COVID and our need to stay apart. Self-care is, you know, we it's it's one of those buzzwords. We mm-hmm, hear it a lot mm-hmm. right now. Um, and sometimes I think it's difficult for people to truly understand that it it doesn't also necessarily have to be long. Mm-hmm. Like we're not talking about two hours right, of, of self-care right. yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when you barely have time to fit in any self-care, mm-hmm. you're not suddenly going to mm-hmm. ramp up to... Right, a half yeah. a day. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, the the biggest thing is counseling. I forgot to mention that one. <laughs> so <laughs> with self care, definitely seek out professional help. You know, if you need it, because um, it definitely makes the difference. Um, none of us have all the answers, uh, and so you know, with counseling, you know, I. You brought up a good point. Um, I feel like there's often a misconception that, you know, you're going five days a week to counseling. You're, you're like, <laughs> you're roughing it every day after work going there. Like, no, no, it's not that. Um, you know, oftentimes it's like twice a month and then it's reduced to once a month. Once you develop those coping skills or reach those goals that, you know, you work on with your counselor and, you know, eventually you taper off. How do you get a community which may not necessarily believe or trust or accept mental health counseling or counseling in general Mm -hmm. to accept help? Yeah. Uh, So it is difficult in the black community. um, And I think part of that is because like the religious aspect where we've, you know, kind of been taught to give our problems to God and, you know, yes, you know, prayer is self-care too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You should definitely pray. Um, And, you know, you can speak to your pastor or counselor or, you know, whoever your, you know, religious leader is. But, um, yeah, you definitely want to go to counseling too. And so uh, I think there's a another misconception about uh, the fact that if you need help, you can only get it from a social worker who looks like you. And that should not be the case. Um, There's a lack of, you know, African-American social workers to begin with. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, just when I was in school, you know, many times I was the only or one of two black people in the classroom. So, you know, I know there's not, uh, a huge amount of African African American social workers to begin with, but um, then on top of that, we've kind of entered this great resignation area where you know a lot of people have retired, um, right. people literally have died because of COVID, and so the workforce is smaller, um, and so there's shortages, you know, uh, you know wherever you go, but uh, with uh, counseling, you're working on goals, um, and so. The social worker or counselor's uh, position is not to um, put their own biases on you, is to learn about you, uh, help you develop um, your coping skills, develop your knowledge of what your triggers are, what, um, you know, trauma you have been um, enduring, and, you know, develop goals. So um, 
every social worker has to abide by the NASW Code of Ethics, um, NASW being the National Association of Social Workers. And so with that, um, there is the ethical standard um, for the social workers' ethical responsibilities to clients, which outlines self-determination and cultural competence. And so uh, with the self-determination, you are um, helping that client kind of determine what they want their goal to be. So you're not implying your own, you know, thoughts or opinions on them and, you know, directing them. You're guiding them, and there's a difference. So do you think that counseling and mental health care looks different for black and brown people than it does for others? Um, I think it, for counseling, you're helping them with goals. And so, um, I mean, you yes, you have to be culturally competent. Mm-hmm. And, and so with that, you are you know, knowledgeable, you're aware of what some of the challenges that black and brown people face. Um, but the counseling itself should not look different. You're, you're still, you know, gathering that background information. You're still um, helping them determine what strengths they, they have. You're still helping them, um, you know, craft out goals and helping to them to achieve their goals. So uh, it should not look that different. There's a book I read by um, Charlemagne the God, and it was his second book. It wasn't Black Privilege. It was the other one. But anyways, he kind of outlines, like, his experience with counseling mm-hmm. and the fact that he was very apprehensive towards, you know, getting a counselor that wasn't, black because he's black um but that how he has this counselor and it certainly has made the difference in his life and you know he's come to realize that it doesn't really matter you know the ethnic background of the counselor um because I don't want that to be a limitation on black and brown people getting counseling mm-hmm. that that's my big thing is that you know I want them to get the counseling, uh, whether, you know, their counselor what is from whatever socioeconomic, racial background. Because they're there to help you. Yeah, yeah, they're there to help. In one of your social media posts, um, you shared a page from A Framework for Understanding Poverty mm-hmm. by Ruby Payne. Um, in it, it's a, it's a chart that shows what certain aspects of life like money, food, education, and driving forces look like to those living in poverty, to those in the middle class, and for the wealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the categories was social emphasis. Uh, in that particular category, um, those in poverty tend toward inclusion. Those in the middle class tend to favor self-sufficiency, and the wealthy tend to favor exclusion. Mm -hmm. So let's unpack that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) because that's, um, it's certainly very striking to to read. Mm -hmm. Um, Why is it important for people to understand 
the the class differences first off um yeah so it's important for people to understand the class differences um especially you know if you're working in the classroom um and if the clientele that you are working with is you know different from your socioeconomic background they're going to move differently um there's a certain culture in poverty and so there's two types of poverty there's there's situational poverty and then there's generational poverty and situational poverty it may be okay you got laid off or Um, You know, there was a national disaster. You were doing okay, but then, you know, there was this sudden impact. Um, Generational poverty, which, you know, we often see in that area uh, off of Jefferson, um, is where there's multiple generations who have all endured poverty. And so, you know, mom didn't have a lot of money. Grandma didn't have a lot of money. Um, that That's kind of where I fall into. <laughs> um, and so, and so, yeah, people move differently, um, you know, in that uh, section of poverty. And especially when speaking with uh, youth, I can see where um, they are definitely concerned about loyalty. Um, loyalty mm-hmm. is a big thing. Um, and sometimes loyalty leads you to making poor choices, um, and because you're concerned about the other person's, you know, well-being and um, what they think about you, mm-hmm. um, and so in. But, but uh, that's then a, a very different. Those in the middle class and those in the wealthy class look at that very differently. Mm-hmm. So if one were, you know, according to the chart, mm-hmm. if one were in poverty, it's relationships that are uber important. It is yes. tantamount in, in your life to have relationships mm-hmm. versus in the middle class, um, they're not necessarily thinking relationships. They're mm-hmm. thinking it's more important to have achievements, to achieve something, whether monetarily or educationally or Mm -hmm. civically even. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's completely different than someone who is wealthy or comes from wealth, how they view things. Um, Their driving force remains financial. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then we sort of hark back a little bit to relationships, but it isn't for... I would say it isn't necessarily for personal enrichment. Mm-hmm. It is to maintain social standing. Mm-hmm. So if one were to try to move from those classes without you know, necessarily having a, a huge socioeconomic impact, like somebody didn't just give you a house someplace else or, mm-hmm. or you mm-hmm. won the lottery or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. How would you move? How do you change your thinking to to go from one section to the other? And and should you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you want, 
you know, to move up in class <laughs> then um, in regards to should you, uh, you know, you do what you got to do. Um, I, personally, I, that has been a life challenge <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I come from poverty. Mm-hmm. And so and then, you know, I when got my associate's, bachelor's, master's and then, you know, I I was have been working as a professional and I really inside my inner circle really did not have, um, you know, anybody to kind of gather, you know, what that, that culture was in, Mm -hmm. um, that upper class. And so, um, you know, how you function on the job and dealing with, you know, being the only minority in meetings, um, it's difficult. Um, you know, they have this thing called code switching, which, you know, I can do very well. (laughs) I'm bilingual, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, so it's, um, you know, it's definitely difficult, but what has helped me along the way is definitely, you know, I'm a, I'm a big reader. And so like, I literally read everything I see. I try to, (laughs) so like I'm reading flyers and everything all the time. And, um, and so, you know, I find out about, you know, different mentorship programs or different academic enrichment programs. And so, um, you know, when I was going to UB, there was the C-STEP program, which exposed me to a lot of different things, um, yeah. Um so you you would say that a lot of it really is being exposed to a different way of thinking, a different oh, mindset. Yes. yes, yes. So mentorship really comes into huge play. Oh yes. With that. Yes, yep. Um definitely being around people who think differently um uh, from you and your household. Um you know, and that the exposure is everything. It's everything so that, and that's why I, you know, like to encourage kids to read because it's like, you know, when you read different books and like I have, it's kind of exposed you to different lifestyles. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I I don't live in South Carolina, but, you know, I I know what living in South Carolina is like from reading Charlemagne the God's book, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so things like that, uh, it helps. And, you know, there are always somebody, uh, there's always somebody around that, you know, if you just ask and you don't be, you're not scared to, um, you know, reach out to, you know, other people. And, you know, sometimes it may take a phone call or a letter and, you know, being courageous enough to tell somebody that, you know, you want more out of life. And uh, and so can you help me get there? Can you help me with the tools, the organizational skills that I need, the, you know, the, the whatever it is that they need? Veronica mm-hmm. Golden, thank you so much for joining us today. Up next, host Jay Moran is with local artist Bianca McGraw. Stay with us. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. 
Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Join Buffalo Toronto Public Media on August 24th at 6 p.m. for a creative and empowering youth-focused event that will help normalize mental health and wellness. Join us at our studios to watch clips of Ken Burns' documentary, Hiding in Plain Sight, Youth Mental Illness. Then participate in mindful discussions, interactive breakout sessions, and informative activities. Free dinner will also be provided. For more information, visit wned.org events. Support for the Mental Health Initiative is sponsored by the Patrick P. Lee Foundation. Watch Remembering Crystal Beach Park. Crystal Beach was such an important part of the lives of anyone growing up in the western New York or southern Ontario area. Relive those childhood memories with the WNED PBS original production, Remembering Crystal Beach Park. Now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And good morning. Welcome back to Buffalo. What's next? I'm Jay Moran and very pleased uh, to be uh, with Bianca L. Period McGraw, Buffalo yeah. artist. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. We've uh, got the ultimate multitasker here because uh, <laughs> Bianca, as she's going to be talking to me and about her art and about uh, some of the inspirations behind her art, is she is actually also painting. Is it? Are you painting or are you drawing? Um, I'm painting. Okay. So I'm painting with coffee. With coffee. Yes. It's uh, fascinating. She's doing it right in front of me. Tell me a little bit about the piece that you're doing in front of me at this moment. Um, right now I am working on uh, a painting of DJ Syke, um, who is a local uh, DJ for the city of Buffalo. And it is one of the, it's the fifth uh, painting of my series that's dealing with uh, coffee addiction and gun addiction within uh, America. And so I'm just, you know, dealing, doing these uh, pieces since the uh, shooting um, that occurred at the uh, Tops Market. Uh, interesting. Uh, Mark Talley, our Producer just uh, stepped over. He was he caught he caught him caught his curiosity. He stepped over to make sure he got a, a, a look at uh, some of these pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the the top shooting on on May fourteenth, and it's interesting. You as a as a art someone who teaches art, but is also an artist as well. On May fourteenth, um, after that for a little bit, you mm-hmm. kind of put things on hold for a little bit. Talk about that. Yeah, I um, felt like my artistry uh, took a hit because uh, in uh, it made the shooting made me think about what happened at Northern Illinois University, uh, February fourteenth, two thousand eight. Where, of course, you were a student. Yeah, I was a student. Um, I was a a grad student, and uh, there was an on campus shooting where five students um, were uh, killed, and the uh, shooter took their own life. Uh, University responded fast, but it the I don't 
don't want to say the may- mayhem, but it's just the idea of what happens during um, or on-campus shooting or active shooting situation. Uh, it's very overwhelming. And what happens next and the healing that has to occur um, with the community, with yourself, uh, with staff. Uh, so that stayed with me, especially uh, moving out here to Buffalo, you know, leaving Chicago and then coming to work at Buffalo um, and then realizing that shootings are so close as they keep happening across the U.S. And it was just like it's happened nine minutes from my house. And it just feels like, you know, you're watching. I feel like it was like an attack on my own community. I'm watching my entire community being constantly attacked, you know, for running, walking, jogging, um, being, sleeping, shopping. It just it's frustrating. Um, it's so frustrating that I felt like a lot of my art is my art is about um, social narratives, identity, culture, justice. But how what does that mean? And so I just felt I was exhausted. And so what makes me happy is drinking coffee. And so I decided to start these paintings. Um, well, I started one because I was painting with coffee and was like, what happens when you take your coffee addiction with America's uh, addiction to guns? And what, what does that juxtaposition look like? And so that's what these for me are. But also I feel like I'm kind of going through a process of healing while I'm doing this. I want to talk a little bit more yeah. about the coffee paintings, but I'm going to jump back in your career just a mm-hmm. little bit here to yeah. a magnificent piece that you did with Lego, mm-hmm. a Black Lives Matter piece. Yes. A very dramatic piece, very large piece. What was the inspiration behind that? George Floyd. Um, George Floyd occurred. Again, I'm questioning what is me as artist is going to do. I had opportunity to work with Art Playground uh, and submit that piece and was able to do that piece in front of the Swan uh, Street Diner and... Um, it itself became this massive, it's just an image of a Black Lives Matter protester or advocate, if you will, and just, just made from Legos. Uh, had opportunity to put it there, had opportunity to put it at the Trimane Center at Buffalo Arts uh, Studio. Um, and just the idea that it can be an interactive piece. Um, I've seen, it's, it's cute watching kids re uh, Position the Lego. <laughs> it's like, oh, as an you artist, you're okay with that. <laughs> I mean, you know, gentrification can happen with art. You know, a little bit. They built a Starbucks. It was cute. Uh, so, <laughs> but um, you know, it's just the idea of taking something that's playful but a very serious tone. But it was like, how do you make these statements um, artistically? And create and take up space. So a lot of my art is about taking up space, reclaiming space. Um, But the whole project for that project, it's actually called the Reclaim and Redistribute Project. And so a lot of the community donated Legos. And what we did was we created uh, these uh, creativity packets. And so I work with the, I think it's the uh, Seneca Development Center. And we did a program where we did like a Lego bar and we did poetry with them and play with them and they got to pick their own Legos. And so, and they got these kits that we got a chance to create. So we got money from our playground and different organizations that donated and we made these cute uh, Lego kits and also they had art, all these art supplies in it. So it was awesome to be able to give back to the community. I'd like to, you know, the mm-hmm. one thing is, of course, you know, we are, we're here on radio, so we can't necessarily yeah. show everything, but I want to, uh, you know, for, I know everybody multitasks except yeah. for me, but, but <laughs> 
but if you want to go as you're, <laughs> as you're as you're listening, if you want to go to uh, Bianca's uh, Instagram uh, page, go to at Bianca L period at Bianca L period, and you can take a look at all of her. Uh, uh, work that, that uh, she has right here, these these coffee paintings, but also that uh, magnificent uh, Lego work of the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, I'm I'm curious about, you know, it's interesting from an artist standpoint. Mm-hmm. Clearly, as I talk to you and we're beginning to know each other here, at times you can see how certain things really affect you as an artist is it a sense that you have to get that out of you that work through these these issues these emotions that come to you through your art i think to each artist is different uh, i think for myself um i am discovering now that art is healing um art is piecing me as a person back together um but also allowing me to be a part of community action so though art, um, depending on what I'm doing, like the idea of making events from this, I can do these. But what comes next? Like the Lego piece could have just been just Legos, but there was another step. Um, how do you create the extra step to engage? So doing these paintings, I do these paintings um, at places. Like I don't just do them in my studio or at my house. I actually go to restaurants or events or <laughs> a radio station. <laughs> That's new one, right? uh, yeah, this is new. <laughs> and paint. Um, I feel like painting within the community allows me to be a part of a conversation that will occur because people will walk up and then they will ask you. And I feel like dialogue is what's missing sometimes from narrative. Um, we have narrative, but we don't always get a chance to discuss it. And so creating spaces um, for me, like taking up space and creating space to have discussion uh, has been something that is both healing, but also maybe healing from the person who's interacting with me because they get to talk about their own experiences and how they're experiencing the art. And when you get to have that one on one with people, it, it just feel like it's it in itself is an exchange that is amazing. So because I, I know mm-hmm. there are some artists who would say, I leave my art out there to mm-hmm. stand and speak on its own. But you're saying that one of the things you like about mm-hmm. is the getting into a dialogue based on the response from your from your work. Yes, I think that exchange is very important because I as artists can learn from it. Um, there, I've done a lot of controversial pieces in the past. I'm going to print those up right now. But, <laughs> but you learn from when people are able to talk to you. I think the biggest thing about artists is that the idea of critique. But what does critique look like when it's just not about, you know, in the educational uh, space or just the gallery space? What about when it's outside spaces where people can interact with art? Not necessarily, not necessarily in these traditional spaces, but they get to experience it in other places. But they get to talk to the artists. Not everyone gets that opportunity. Right. And so, yes, there are a lot of times some things speak for themselves, but they don't because every person brings a different experience to what they're seeing. And it gives you a chance to kind of open your eyes up to new experiences and exchanges with that. So I'm a big component of um, discussing the narrative. Uh, I'm very fortunate because right now yeah. I do get to talk to the yeah. artist, <laughs> Bianca L. Period McGraw, with me here on Buffalo What's Next. Um, so can we talk maybe about mm-hmm. some of the things that you, like you said, those, the reactions yeah. that you've had, the dialogue that you've gone into? Yeah. What are people saying? Who are some of these people that, that you've uh, encountered with uh, during okay. from, from your art, especially here in Buffalo and in maybe recent times? 
So I think when I started, um, I did a painting with uh, using 10,000, who's a spoken word poet for Buffalo, uh, also an artist. Um, and his piece kind of involves uh, police uh, shootings because um, it has different elements of guns um, and how it looks. And so some people would talk about it. It was like, oh, this is really cool. And then they really look and they're like, oh, my goodness. And so they get to talk about their experiences. So a lot of those kind of took place at different restaurants I was at. Um, and sometimes people share stories of like their just personal like feelings about it or incidents that they may have had. Um, recently, I just did one of Jillian uh, Hainsworth, our poet laureate for Buffalo. Uh, I used her. Uh, well, I talked to her first okay. <laughs> to ask her, "Can I paint her?" And she said yes. Um, and I wanted to display kind of what Tops was the Tops situation without using tops and I okay. did use the shopping carts, but I didn't want to use the branding um, because to me, this was more than just the location. You know, it's, it, it, it's the community that was impacted. You know, there's this food desert that exists. There is this memorance. There are these issues. And now when I'm painting this and when people finally notice the shopping carts in the, in the hair, we, we get a conversation about like, it is a food desert and what happens next. And they, some people are telling me that the things that they're doing within the community. And so this is happening at coffee shops that I'm at, at bars, drinking, it's really weird. <laughs> but people have opinions and they have feedback and it's it's just, it's great listening um, because it may not spark too much change, but I feel like it does because then also I'm learning about action, community action that I didn't know was happening, um, that I can go and be a part of or support. And so a lot of that is happening. Uh, I'm right in my mm -hmm. hands right at this moment. I have your coffee painting of, of Jillian Hainsworth. And now, as you mentioned, I mm -hmm. do see the, the shopping carts there as well. Uh, uh, Jillian very quickly becoming my favorite Buffalonian, I might say. Um, but <laughs> she you, is me. Yeah, she, she really is an amazing person. But it is amazing to see the types of artistic response that, have, that has come out of, uh, of this, to call it a tragedy is really an understatement. But but back to what you said, these conversations. Mm. Well, are there? Do people say I'm learning things? That I'm learning something through what you're doing here. That I've learned something about this Buffalo community that I didn't know before. Mm -hmm. I think. I think it's difficult. I think for me, I'm learning more about Buffalo because I'm not originally from Buffalo, um, and so my conversations with people, it's me learning about them per se, um, and feels like it's a little bit more healing for me in that exchange. Um, I think for others, sometimes it's about, it depends on the exchange. So, you know, um, like, what does that mean? Like, it's just more opinion-based. Um, okay. I think, but also providing space for someone to talk. Because not everyone's comfortable with having these discussions. And when are you going to talk about it when you don't have people that you can have that exchange with? You know, so I am creating space for that, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. That makes a lot of sense. Because yeah. you're right. It's it's one of those things. These are very difficult issues mm -hmm. to talk about, yeah. especially in a community. And we know we talk about it quite a bit on the show about the segregation yes. that is here in Buffalo. And hopefully we're starting to see some conversations that are occurring yeah. beyond that segregation. We're going to take a, a little break here. We'll okay. give you a little moment, a little minute or so. We'll take a time out here on Buffalo What's Next. We're talking with artist Bianca L. Period McGraw, and this is Buffalo What's Next.
You can listen to WBFO anywhere in the world with your mobile device by downloading our apps at iTunes or the Google Play Store. Support for this audio service is provided by Fried Maxic, online at FriedMaxic.com. Get all the trusted local news you need right to your inbox each weekday morning with the WBFO daily email. Visit WBFO.org to sign up today. Support for the WBFO News Desk for Older Adults is provided by Health Foundation for Western and Central New York, an independent private foundation investing in improvements to community health with the goal of a healthy Central and Western New York where racial and socioeconomic equity are prioritized so all people can reach their full potential and achieve equitable health outcomes. Learn more at hfwcny.org. This is Buffalo What's Next where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And uh, thanks for being with us on Buffalo What's Next, uh, talking with artist Bianca L. Period McGraw. And uh, it's interesting, uh, Bianca, you're doing these coffee paintings. You're doing one in front of me right now. Just before we went on the air, though, your mother called called in and said, hey, don't let out your secrets. You've got secrets to this. Did I just see one secret right I there? I think you saw that. Don't tell okay, nobody. I'm not telling anybody about it. But that's a very interesting She's going to get see. mad at me. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. So uh, you mentioned that you are from Chicago. Yes. Um, can you compare race relations in Chicago compared to Buffalo? Do you have a sense? To, I know that's a tough question and maybe something that not everybody wants to get into, but I'm, I'm curious about your perspective. Um, I've, I mean, I believe that it's very similar. Chicago is uh, segregated, um, very uh, city that was impacted by redlining, uh, very much so intentional for Buffalo, uh, very impacted uh, by redlining. And so you see those huge um, similarities. Uh, Chicago, um, I feel like Buffalo is very similar for me. Um, it feels home very Midwest. Uh, it still got some of the New York City folk. Um, they're different. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm from Chicago. So. <laughs> but just that idea that cities are intentionally segregated and continuing to be even even now is just uh thought shaking i want to say provoking because it's not it's just it's just like right. ah why are you still right. doing this but yeah the uh like you said it's a segregated community mm-hmm. but uh the community have you found a a place do you feel like you found a, a home here in buffalo yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I just, I have, um, I just try to go to the different spaces because when I first came out here, I was in Amherst uh, working at uh, UB. And so I didn't really get a chance to experience the city, city per se. You know, you always work and you don't get to do that. Right. Um, but uh, have an opportunity to work at, uh, when I got a chance to be at Buffalo State College, that put me in the heart of the city, it felt like it. And it was just beautiful to explore. Like, Buffalo is beautiful, but it has a lot of history. Um, and then, you know, there's the east side of Buffalo. And then you go, and it's these spaces that need stuff from the city. And so I question that. Like, where is the city? <laughs> you know? 
Um, and then the the best part of Buffalo Start, like the art community, poetry here, um, being able to be a poet and working with the poets in the community um, has been amazing for myself um, because I put my art on hold when I came out here. It just was I'm just redeveloping, you know, being back, being like, hey, you don't forget you was an artist first. So, right, right, <laughs> you know? right, right. so having an opportunity to finally work on my work again, uh, having an art studio um, at the Chimane Center. Um, being able to have spaces and also taking up space. So I think for me, uh, I'm still, I like to go to Buffalo and like parks and just create opportunities. Like we'll do pop-up open mics, just random. Hey, people come show up. People will walk up, we'll hang out or, you know, go paint in places or do art. Uh, I hope I can do another pop-up Lego bar again, but, uh, you know, Lego's expensive. I I was going to (laughs) say, yeah. Yeah, Lego, get at me. No, I'm just playing. (laughs) (laughs) what about when you do those Mm -hmm. those events like that um does art bring people together i mean not just i'm talking Mm -hmm. about crossing over that segregated line does does it succeed in doing that i think so so i think um art really does so an example of like something that i've done i do these t-bars so i do uh i have a thing that's called us a installation performance called Poetic Cafe. And Poetic Cafe creates a, it's a fake cafe, but it creates these spaces anywhere. And people can um people who otherwise would never have experience like to interact like this, we have bars. So like we uh I was at the Broadway market. So I'll use Broadway Market. Um we created this space um during again our playground. Right. <laughs> Shout out to Emily Tucker. Uh, <laughs> but we created these spaces where People got a chance to do art. Um, just you just be walking by. Here's a menu. You can create your own journal. You can create your own tea bag and create your own cup. And it's all art. We had art supplies. So you were going to a cafe to create art, free art. Um, and so creating your own tea uh, bag, like you get like actual herbs. We had herbs for people to use. So you can make a lavender chrysanthemum tea, um, a mint hibiscus tea. Like we had real stuff. So the idea that you can go to different communities and provide quality supplies to have an art experience anywhere, I think is an amazing opportunity. So like a lot of my work is about how do I get out there to go do places or do just do pop-ups. So things, but also they can be free. So people can have that exchange or do things they've never thought they would do. You created um, either a poetry book or a art book for yourself to draw or write. Um, we, I've also did workshop with a few other artists, um, poets in the community to do something called Create Your Own Flavor, where, again, it was another free, uh, we used to tea, we did a tea event where we talked about how do you talk about how you create your own flavor and what does that mean for you? So they got to create their own tea bags and then write about it. So we did this writing workshop, um, created tea, had an open mic, um, and experience again, free, but that was funded by Awesome Buffalo Grant. So I just try to look at when I'm doing art, what is the impact on the community? Um, but right now, because I'm in Buffalo, it has been what is the impact for the community in Buffalo? So I try to do events that cater to that. Uh, and um, <sighs> it's interesting how about you as an artist and a member of the community? Mm-hmm. You've been here now for over, a, 10 years. over <laughs> a decade, right? But what, what about for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you talked about this moment yeah. for yourself after May 14th that you kind yeah. of had put things on hold. And now you're you're expressing yourself again. Are you are you personally, are you yeah. healing? Are, do you feel like you're healing and 
from from what's happened here, or do you still feel the impact? I heal through community engagement, and I think that um, I'm not as active because I have uh, physical uh, diversity, mobility concerns for myself now, and so I can't be as engaged and as active. So, like, I can't go to a protest and walk it. Um, I can go do a poem for it and then go sit my little butt down. But <laughs> but here with these, this also allowed me to really engage with the community on a different level, not just doing the event. I'm just doing the art and people are just walking up and they feel comfortable enough just to sit by me. Like you're just, I'm at a regular restaurant. Can I ask what you're doing? Yes, absolutely. And just sit by and just have a whole conversation. And I love that. And for me, that's healing. Um, especially COVID shut us in and now kind of slightly being out. Unless monkey pox puts us in. But I don't want the pox. But right, uh, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think for me what's healing is dialogue. Uh, art, as art puts that Band-Aid there, it's the discussion that puts the healing ointment, I want to say. Uh, it's, the, it's the physical therapy after, you know. It is what helps to re-energize me as a person. Um, so really engaging and hearing stories and feeling motivated that people feel comfortable enough to come into the space that I th- think I'm creating. And so I am, I, you know, I'm hoping I'm doing an okay job with making space for others while this is allowing me to make space for myself. What about then? What mm-hmm. do they, what do they express to you? Are they expressing a, a mm-hmm. similar thing that maybe it's, it's a healing, it's a, it's a healing moment for you. I mean, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a healing moment for them, I should say. I think it just depends. So some people, yes. Um, or some people, like, I didn't know that's what that was. So, like, you, you know, like the shopping carts. So somebody right. was like, I didn't know that that was the shopping carts. And they would go, like, this was so sad and I was so upset, but this is so beautiful. And mm. I like how this represents this. You know, like the, the, it's, a, it's a talking about it. So I can't necessarily say, is that healing for a person? Sure. But isn't an outlet? Yes. I would say an outlet more than anything. I can be a sounding board. Oh, uh, what about moving forward? Is that mm-hmm. is this going to be your your work here then for the foreseeable future, or do you just wait for the muse to to tell, <laughs> to tell you where you're going to go next? Well, I do want to get a few out. I know um, I want to do uh, four. I mean, three more after this one is done. Uh, so I want to have a set of eight. Um, do you have uh, any ideas or do you want yeah. to share them with me right now? Yeah, my mom will get us. Not <laughs> I do have some bigger plans for working with this media. I'm not a painter per se. Like I'm an installation performance uh, multimedia artist. Uh, so this is a little different. So I want to work how these uh, bigger pieces or paintings um, with coffee, which is a lot. And also I'll get thirsty because it smells so it does. It, sometimes it smells good and sometimes it's weird because, it, you know, it's stale coffee at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, the hope is to how do I make it interactive? Um, and so that's going to be my next goal. That um, It's what makes it a production, what makes it a space that allows me to reclaim everything um, and provide space for others. And uh, just, uh, again, we have about 30 seconds to go here, but do, do you have any spaces that you're going to be at soon that we can come find you? Or do we just have to follow along on social media and see, see where oh, you Oh, I land? do pop-ups? Yeah. What's... Well, I mean, I've been trying to go to If Your Cafe's open, I'll pop up. Uh, sometimes they close a little early. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> um. So no plans just yet. I wish I did. Now I feel bad. I should have. I should wrote some places down. That's all right. I, I, I do end up at the Gypsy Parlor a lot. So I'll say that. Open so mic. I, yeah. Open mic. Uh, Mike Solo Farrell does his open mic Wednesday nights uh, at eight, eight to eleven. Um. And I I'm normally there. I'll be there for that. Very good. Um, and I'm trying to think of people. That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I'll do a quick shout out. Mm-hmm. Go to Instagram. Check this out for yourself. Bianca L. Period. You spell out period. You spell out period. <laughs> this is Bianca L. Period McGraw, our guest <laughs> on Buffalo. What's next? Earlier in this hour, we heard from Veronica Golden, uh, former Madison Council candidates, and now currently working with the school children in Buffalo Public School District. This has been Buffalo. What's next? Thanks very much for joining us. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOL and Oleanne, WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.